Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, I am joined by Alex. Alex, say hello. Hello. My name is Brad, and we have another special guest. And it's actually in the very first section of our little notes that Alex keeps uh, organized. It just says, who are you? So I'm going to say that. Who are you? Hi, my name is Amit. Uh, you might know me as Ekeros MTG. I am an MTG streamer, aspiring pro player. Can't tell you that is going too well. But um, just I'm an MTG streamer. I am uh, from Israel. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, should I go on? Should I... I mean, you can give the entire life story as far as, far as I'm concerned. I was born I in 1993. Uh, <laughs> hey, he's older than both of us, Alex. Oh, yeah, you're the, you're the you're the young boy here. I'm the boomer here. <laughs> oh, only by like two years. I mean, you're uh, you're 28, and I'm 26. Oh yeah. So, and I'll be 24 this Sunday. So there you oh. go. Jesus Christ! Oh yeah, happy early birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Thank you. By the time this episode goes uh, goes live, it will be your birthday. It will be a couple days before. Alex is a quick editor. Uh, Sometimes. It depends. <laughs> uh, it, the, the three-person ones are the ones that usually take the extra day for him. Just because he's like... He's also very uh, picky. I was going to say he's very anal. Is that a thing for you guys? What? No. I have, I have heard it being used, but not really. Like, And only by Americans. Yeah, Alex would laugh because we. Uh, I was talking to him about music because uh, he's in a band and I've been working with him and their other vocalist with uh, vocals of my own and things like that, like the screaming and stuff like that. And I, when we were talking about music, I briefly said, yeah, I'm, I, I might be too anal about this. And he replies to that section. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, what are you trying to say? I was like, I'm too picky yeah like and he's like i've never heard yeah, that. there's a word for that brad it's called picky yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah it's an expression over here for some reason and uh yeah i've i've now come to realize it's strictly an american thing so uh yeah <laughs> but yeah he's uh he can be a little picky when it comes to um how he wants everything to be set up and kind of designed but doesn't matter hi alex you're hearing this now but yeah looking at like I said, you stream. Yeah. That's the big thing. Um, and one thing that, I mean, I've been watching your streams a lot more lately. Uh, I've kind of dabbled in here and there uh, a while. Or When did you start streaming, first off? Oh, I, that was um, September. So that must have been like, is it seven months now? Eight months? That's a lot. He's been streaming as long as we've been doing a podcast, Alex. Really? Yeah, we started uh, in August of last year. So, yeah. Right on that. Alex has this look on his face like math. I, I'm seeing all the little equations going around your head, trying to figure out. I'm usually good at math. It's just dates that really confuse me. Like, <laughs> I still regularly, if it's like, I'll be on Thursday, and how many days is that? And I still need to, like, get my hands out just to make sure that I get it right. And I'm, I'm good at all other math, but it's just like, Tuesday, Wednesday, three. <laughs> I mean, it's like if I asked you what letter of the alphabet is T. Oh, I, I have to go through the song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like me and time zones, right? I just can't figure it out. I mean, to be fair, it, it is a big difference between where we are or where I am and you are. Not so much Alex. Alex, you're a difference of like two hours. Yeah, we covered a, a large part of the globe tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> but yeah, so you've been streaming since about September. Um, and yeah, I've watched a lot more and... 
how has that been for you so far? Like what, what even caused you to get into streaming in the first place? That's a really good question because I don't think there's a moment that I said, wow, I should be streaming. Like I had, so I, I had some success in the past few years in magic, um, more than before, like before, before two years ago, I was mostly playing paper magic, paper events in Israel. I was doing fine in PDQs and that's basically it. And then I started doing better and I had like some really good events and and I started playing more online somehow because I never did before. And then I streamed a couple of times and I had fun. And when I was about to finish my degree, that was, I, I got my degree in August. So a few months before I was thinking like, what should I do next in my life? Like, do I, what kind of job do I want to get? And then COVID kind of hit and I kind of realized I can try streaming. Um, I am in a privileged position where I can give that a real shot. I thought it was fun the couple of times I tried it, so I just kind of went for it. Um, and it's kind of weird because in retrospect, I I don't know that I was brave enough to make the decision, but it kind of just happened. Yeah. I mean, I've done a little bit of streaming here and there, and it like I I try to like be like, oh, I'm gonna actually like, commit myself because. After we started the podcast, I was like, well, we're starting to get a little bit more of a footing into the community. Um, we're, our listenership is going up. I might as well stream as well in addition to it. And I was like, I'm going to have this dead set schedule. And then about a month and a half in, I was like, I cannot maintain this schedule <laughs> at all. And it was even like limiting myself to like one or two streams a week. And I, it was hard for me to keep up with that just with everything else. Um, but I was also editing at the same time the podcast and work and things like that it's it's a tough thing to keep your schedule going because i'm gonna assume like in streaming consistency is very important and it's a thing that i i considered but i'm already like i'm doing the podcast um i'm i'm a part of like a couple of D campaigns and it's kind of driving my girlfriend nuts because like my schedule is already filled in half of the time and today one of the server admins messaged me like hey i'm setting up this D campaign in the summer you like want to join and my girlfriend just sighed when I read it. <laughs> it's like, I get the hint. <laughs> okay, I won't, I won't do another one. I mean, you could, you could quit one of your other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but like, um, so it's, it's interesting to say that you kind of like stumbled into uh, streaming. And I think it's like, yeah, it's, it's like an interesting thing where you now find yourself the time you can kind of give it a shot. Because I do feel like that's kind of uh, a thing with streaming where you kind of just have to get lucky. It's it's part being being obviously good and being entertaining, but I feel like there's a large luck factor in there. Um, because you're competing with so many people, as you said. Like, have you felt like it's it kind of like goes into like your like doing the scheduling and stuff? Like, was it kind of easy to get into? Um, I think you're absolutely correct that this involves some luck. I mean, I don't know if luck is the right word, but it's unpredictable. You, I don't think you can ever know that you will be successful when you start streaming because you never know what's going to keep people like watching your stream or coming to the stream. Um, so I was lucky in some senses because I had like the, the World Magic Cup to like make it seem like I'm a good Magic player. Um, and I had, and I set up my Twitter before like a year before or something. So I actually had like a couple of people following me, which really helped like get the initial, 
get initial uh, momentum going. But this is about luck sometimes. I mean, I can stream and I can get 60 people. I can stream and I can get 10 people. And sometimes I don't have control of that. And the times that I'm streaming work out for me and luckily for other people. But I could, it could not work out. And luckily for me, it is working out right now. Also, as I said, I'm in a really privileged position of being able to do this almost full time right now. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it involves luck, and it requires like a lot of dedication to really make it. Do you, Do you feel like you've like obviously we don't have to go into like full Twitch finances and whatever, but do you feel like you're at a point where it's like yeah, you know, my consistent streaming and stuff. I really feel like this is the type of thing that like you know I can sustain if it goes at this rate. You mean financially wise? Yeah, like, would you be comfortable? It's like, yeah, if I keep going at this pace, I think, uh, you know, I, I could keep going on this train. So I don't think so. Like, if I had to make a decision right now, if I can continue streaming or not, I can't. It's not sustainable. But I do think that I have a couple of more months and I think I'm doing good and I'm having fun. So, you know what, let me backtrack this a bit. When I started this thing, which was around September, as I said, I said, I'm going to give this a year, right? Because giving it less just last time just felt like kind of not taking it seriously. And as I said, you need to be consistent over a lot of time and then maybe you succeed. So right now I'm pretty happy about where I am. I said, I consider myself lucky. If I had to make a decision today, I couldn't keep streaming the way I do right now, but I have some time to make this decision and it's not black or white. Like I can see myself in four months just saying, okay, I'm enjoying streaming. I don't want to do this full time for whatever reason gonna stream once a week and that's fine if i'm having fun and if people are coming to watch i think it's about expectations basically yeah yeah i think you're making a really really good point where it's like if you want to get into streaming you you need to give yourself a reasonable amount of time like you're not going to be you're not going to be top one streamer in like two weeks right so you need to have like this time period it's like i can as you said like i'll give myself a year you've got like the set commitment um going and i think as you said it's very important it's about expectations that you set and like what's mm-hmm. what's realistic um i mean the one thing about streaming it's it's hard like i've the few times i streamed i remember there was um now this was also in combination with me playing the deck for the first time it was around when zendikar released and uh omnath was like the bigger the bigger deck in pioneer you're playing four color omnath on stream right yeah and i punted <laughs> so hard i i o threed uh to start uh the league and i just made so many mistakes because i'm trying to talk to people and it wasn't even a lot it was like i think i topped out at like 10 people it's just people i knew in the like in the server so it's not even like random people i'm meeting for the first time i know pretty much everyone in the stream so i'm just talking but i'm also going like lotus like the lotus cobra trigger like i'm trying to order my lands right and i just i end up going what color do i need (laughs) yeah and I'm looking at like what my mana base is. I'm like, what triumph is this? Is that a that's a red? There's a white. <laughs> I need a blue. I I have the thing. <sighs> that's really the problem with the triumphs, right? It's so hard to tell what colors they tap for because it's not like as obvious. It's like, oh yeah, the watery grave is the blue and black one because the art is literally blue and black. <laughs> and they and they've got the Mardu triumph and it's just brown. You're like, wait, what is this? <laughs> but Mardu is brown. The trouble comes when you get to Sultai or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's this... I mean, yeah, it's like a rotten tree, which I guess is Sultai. <laughs> Somehow. And it's there's water there. Like, what you can do, if you're playing more than one Triumph, 
in like a deck that's greedy. You play one playset in the normal art and the other playset in the showcase art, so you remember. Oh, cheating! Yeah. Well, I have the. It's the same reason why I've got my basics white bordered, because when I'm correcting a fabled passage, it's really easy to find your lands. That's gross, though. I mean, I, I my Rakdos Arcanist uh, deck. I mean, I play Pioneer because I don't like the shuffling of modern. So you know, better make it as short as possible, right? That's like um, what's it called? If I'm playing four color fires and like I do transmogrify into like agent, I'm like, can I just pick up my deck and grab the agent? Like, you know, I don't have any creatures in here. <laughs> this is this is game one. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that's fine. Thank you, Jesus, because like I hate. Because I've gone, I've counted before. I went through because I had literally the playset was all at the bottom, and I went through sixty three cards one time. I mean, I mean, for all I know, you've got a playset in your hand. You just made a huge mistake. So I'm, gonna, <laughs> so I'm, so I'm gonna make you go through your entire deck. <laughs> Alex, hey, can you do me a favor this one time? I have a shark typhoon right here. Can I just can this be a token? Can this become the shark token? Does that work with transmogrify? Can we can we kind of fudge the rules a little bit? <laughs> oh, I hate it when people do this. I have my friends. What? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. My friends when we draft and we have double face cards and they want to play the other side of the card, they don't flip it. They just play this the other side. So like if they have if you have like um it mostly comes up with the double face card lens. So right, so they would play like Kazandumama from turn one. I'm looking like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, this is a lens. So it's like, get it out of the sleeve and flip it. Yeah. It takes a second. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, I saw someone they're, they're, uh, it's like I found the pathways a lot less bothersome than I thought they would be. Yeah, it's just a quick little fluid motion. Because when they were first spoils, and I was like, oh, flipping my lands over and over is going to be super annoying, but it's really not that bad. But it's like, I, I don't play any lands in Commander that have you put a counter on them. Oh. Like the vivid ones, because they have a dice on them, and it's like, once I have my 25 lands out in my three-hour standstill game, I'm not going to have all these dice lying around on them. It just, I can't be bothered. So they're just not in my decks. Like, yeah, it's good for a five-color deck. It's like, I don't care. I already hate playing Blast Zone and Paper as is, like, just in regular Constructed. So, like, <laughs> like Lotus has, like, a one-of Blast Zone, and I'm like, do I need it? Do I really need it? Can I just kind of not? I, yes, you need it, okay? I, yeah. I'll acknowledge <laughs> that you need it. But I, I, half the time I'm getting my stuff out to go to, like, my like where my good lighting is, and, like, I get all my cards out, get my play mat out, get my camera out for, for like, like, webcam magic, and then I'm like my dice all of it they're in my room like and i'm halfway through the game i'm like i'm trying to look at anything i can to like keep track of this i'm like nope i, I have to go get up i have no scrap paper can't just do like the little corner paper just draw one scratch it out now we have a two. Oh man it's a nightmare <laughs> but you know just talking about paper magic in general how, how did you initially get into magic so when i was in the tw- was that like uh, High school, basically. I just randomly went with like a friend to the library and we saw a couple of people from our age group playing. And they taught us. And we started going to like drafts and pre-releases. What was your first pre-release? So it I think it was Morning Tide. But we started before this. I think in my first pre-release I got like I remember this distinctly. We had like 20 people and I got like six or something because I don't know, I went three and two or whatever. And I got a booster pack as a prize. And I remember myself thinking, oh my God, I never won anything before. 
And that feeling really, I mean, it might sound funny, but that's what got me into competitive magic. Like the feeling of success there. Because you're like, winning stuff is cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. And when you're a kid, it feels really nice to like win something not in a lottery. You actually played your best and got a reward for it. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's how I got into, well, I never got into competitive magic, but definitely more serious magic is, um, I, I've told the story before, but I'll give a quick recap because it's quite funny. Um, I started playing um, in Aether Revolt, uh, and when, so not about four years ago now, and my local game store, like the Amonkhet pre-release was coming up, and they had like sort of the display out with like the playmat you could win and like the promos that were there, and I saw the Glorybringer promo, and I was like, oh, this thing is so cool. And, you know, I had like played other games before and I, I, I really get what you mean. It's like, it's so much cooler if you win it because it's like a story. Like, yeah, I could wait a month and buy this Glorybringer or I could win it because that's way cooler. And so I went to the counters like, what do I like? How do you get this Glorybringer? And he's like, well, that's for top eight. And I'm like, I'm going to have to top eight. So I like really like did my research and I bought like some of the expensive staples for my deck, but not all of them because it was still a lot like, you know, 25 bucks for a gear hook was still a lot. So I only bought two and like I still had like some Dynavol Towers lying around in my deck because, you know, bad card. And I show up to the pre-release and there's eight people. So we all get one. And you know, the event thing. No, it wasn't the pre-release. It was the game day. The game day. So that's why I did like all the prep and getting the cards because it was the game day top eight. But then eight people showed up to the game day. So we all got a glory bringer anyway. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I had that hook of like play testing with people and having like a serious deck build. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Right. Yeah. Everyone has their like uh, pre release or like their one of their early magic stories. Like my first pre release was uh, Hour of Devastation. And the first pack I opened had a invocation uh, uh, scorpion god and the nickel bolus planeswalker oh. in the same pack and i was like this is the coolest this is the coolest thing i've ever seen <laughs> and like I, I i didn't when i opened it i was just like these are cool looking cards and someone next to me was like dude <laughs> and i was like uh yeah are these these are good <laughs> these are good yes <laughs> And they, uh, they, um, my picture was on the wall because there's a collage of like all these different like like photos from like the shop over the years. And my picture was on the wall for a while with me holding those two guards, uh, of like like pulling those. And it was like this is the coolest thing ever. I'm still saying because my local games were going to have something similar because I showed up to the Ixalan pre-release dressed as a pirate, and they took a picture of me and they said like yeah we're gonna like make this thing of it, but they never did. No, they have to remind them. Yeah. <laughs> Get them to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that the one that shut down or is it the one that's still up? Yeah, it's sadly the one that shut down. Oh, call him anyway. Do you have that picture you took a while ago? Could you send it to me? I want to make my own collage. <laughs> he probably has it somewhere. I've got his number. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, like before we're drifting off too much, you start. So you started off around the uh, around Lorewind block. Yeah. And what's the story from there? Yeah. Yeah, so basically, they're like, so I started playing pre-releases, and we started playing like more tournaments, and there, this was the time where we had nationals. This was the first iteration of nationals where you had to go through qualifiers for nationals, 
And I did that for one year and I got like, I won my qualifiers and that was great. And then I got completely trashed in nationals. I went like 0-7 or something. Had a great time. And then like the following year I came back and I top 8 it somehow. Nice. Which really got me into competitive magic. Now, in retrospect, I don't know how. Um, also, I played Five Color Blood, so all the Vivid Lens. Uh. All of them. <laughs> I had a lot of fun putting the counters on them. Um, and yeah, and that kind of just got me. And from that point on, I just played like basically any PTQ I could play in, any Nationals I could play in. And which went on for a few years. And then... After I finished my military service, because in Israel we have mandatory service, I got back into like more competitive magic, had a good result in like the last WMCQ or when we had those. And then in 2018, they um, announced that this is going to be the last nationals. And I actually managed to win those. Sweet. Oh, yeah, you ended up. So you ended up at a World Cup. Yeah, so first of all, I'm still Israeli national champion. No one's taking the title from me. I'm going to be forever. <laughs> That's one. Second, um, yeah, we got to be on the Israeli national team. So that was me, um, Yuval, another player from Israel, the one who came second, and Shahar Shenhar, which is Shahar Shenhar. a pro player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. Two times world champion. And, um, and we went to the World Magic Cup 2018 in Barcelona, and we got second which is probably the most amazing thing that happened in my life. So that was a really cool experience. We had an amazing time. And I, I think this played a really big role in me trying to take magic more seriously because beforehand I kind of relegated it to, well, I'm going to try, but it's probably not going to work out. And once that happened, I was like, well, maybe there's a shot, a long shot, but it's here. So you talk about like tr that point where you're like, yeah, I, this is where you sort of had that switch, right? I could probably make something out of it. But the ending second at the World Championship and starting streaming, which is generally how, you know, more magic careers are made streaming than playing like tournaments and trying to be on the train the whole time. So what were you like doing in that gap? Like we've got World Championship 2018, streaming starts in 2020. So I I was a student, basically. I was a student in university. Um, I actually, I remembered that semester really well. Like the World Magic Cup was in December, which means right after my exam period. So I had to work really hard to not have to do like repeat an exam because I couldn't. Like I would literally, I, I won't ever. I won't skip this. Um, so I was a student, so I started playing online because I wasn't playing before. Started going on MTG Twitter. And then, I don't know, I just lived my life. You know, I had my commitments and, and I, I don't know. I just was a student, but I played Magic sometimes. And then I played Magic more and more and more. And I ended up here. Yeah, so there just wasn't, there just really wasn't the time between that period. That's basically because you were still busy with your yeah. study. You just, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we kept playing. I, I don't think we even had a really big event in Israel since, like, paper event. I don't think there was a PTQ since I think everything just stopped from that point on. Speaking of Twitter, your uh, your your picture is amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a that's actually a meme from my friends. <laughs> I, I am super biased because it's obviously in uh, from Amaket, and uh, but 
I love that. Car. Oh, speaking of which, uh, I saw a recent. Um, there was a Golgari Coco list, like a week or two ago. That like with Amit Eternal in it. It had two Amit Eternal, and I was like, "Yes, that's the greatest <laughs> thing." My opponent, I played versus this deck, and my opponent played an Amit Eternal. I was like, "We have to concede." This is me on the other side of the board. We have to concede. Um, Afflict is such a cool mechanic. I, I think that was a really well-designed like designed mechanic, and I want to see it come back. Just Can we please go back to Amakut? Please. Please. Oh, yeah. I want my Scarab Gods back. I just want to see if another Neheb can break my Mono Red deck. Uh, Neheb is like probably... like I love Kethis because I love the deck, and, but I think Neheb might be my favorite uh, MTG like character. Uh, him and Angrath. I guess I I like Minotaurs, apparently. <laughs> Amonkhet without Nicobolus is going to feel very strange for me. Like, something's missing. <laughs> but it could be a rebirth. I mean, there, I'm sure there's something else. Like, you have one-armed Hazaret leading the way. Um, you can probably have another big bad or something. Or maybe it's just about rebuilding. It's like it's like how we went back to Zendikar. And it's about, like, it's a cool adventure thing again. It's not the Eldrazi just shitting on everything. Because, you know, that gets old. We're talking about, is, is this like an element of magic that you're generally interested in? Across like the story and stuff, do, don't you really care? So I actually just like absolutely no. For me, magic is mostly a mechanic. I don't even really collect cards in a sense. Like every deck, every paper deck I did well with, I borrowed like 80% of it from friends. I am notorious for this. Um... It's just that this part of magic doesn't really appeal to me. Uh, I get my, my fantasy content elsewhere. And I play magic mostly because... For the mechanics and because I'm just like too deep to really move to another game. I'm enjoying it, but... Yeah. I'm kind of super into it at this point, so... Yeah, I mean, my interest in magic started with the lore. Because, um, I mean, I've said... Just like Alex's story with the Gorybringer, I've said this a few times in the podcast, so I'll keep it as short as possible. Growing up, when I was very little... My dream job was to be an archaeologist, and I was extremely interested in ancient Egypt. That was always my thing. Still to this day, I love ancient Egypt. It's like I have like a bunch of college textbooks behind me, and like I've had them since I was like six, seven, and eight, and they're they're awesome. So I originally got into Yu-Gi-Oh because the premise was ancient Egyptian card game, and I was like, yes, let's do that. And then I was at an LGS one time around the time Amonkhet was about to come out, and my the, the owner of the shop was like, you should get into magic because I was there playing Yu-Gi-Oh. And I'm like, I don't really want to. I'm not into the dragons and knights and all that stuff. He's like, well, there's a new plane and a new set coming out. It takes place in Amonkhet. I'm like, what is that? And he's like, it's like, it's based on like ancient Egypt. And I was like, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> I'm in. And now I'm here. So, so yeah, I, I have a bit more of an investment in the lore because that's what got me into it was the premise of like, ooh, ancient Egyptian card stuff. Like, Because if Amaket wasn't a plane and didn't exist, I probably wouldn't be here right now doing this. I probably would never have played Magic. So I'm, I'm very grateful that Wizards decide to uh, go, go there. That's really cool. I really think that, I mean, it doesn't appeal to me, but I really get it why it appeals to other people and I'm super happy to see it. And whenever like a friend explains a piece of lore to me like why does this card do this i'm like oh that's really cool like i wouldn't check it myself but it's really awesome to have all this background i recently saw that there was like a lore explanation for how the stack works i don't know if you've seen that one which is super cool i'll, I'll send the link to you in a bit 
it's really cool and it's like it's not trivial i think because the stack is super weird the the, the, the stack is probably the hardest thing to explain to people when they get in the game mm-hmm. and it's like you need to explain to someone that like you put all these effects and then they happen in reverse and they're like what <laughs> <laughs> again i came from Yu-Gi-Oh, so i had to deal with chain links before the stack and chain links are arguably harder and more complicated than the stack i mean my whole thing was before i got into magic i was playing Yu-Gi-Oh when i was like 12 and my english was not very great so we all had no idea what we were doing and we were just going like full-on anime and just like if we didn't know what a card does we just looked at the art and we kind of just guessed (laughs) (laughs) i wish i could go back to the age where like you could do that Oh yeah, like the time, like I, I, my initial game too. I played was Yu-Gi-Oh, and just like going to a friend's house and just sitting in the attic, like sitting in the attic, like sitting on the floor with four people, just like jamming games all afternoon, having no idea how bad our decks were in retrospect. Like, <laughs> I, I just want to go back to a time where I could sit on the floor and not get up an hour later with my back killing me. <laughs> That's all I want. Oh, that sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> It's like, remember having the stamina to sit on the floor for an afternoon? <laughs> now we've all got these comfy chairs. Like, everyone's got, like, a like a gaming chair or something now. Did you guys ever have, like, school assembly where they made you sit on the fucking floor? Like a gymnasium? Uh, that that's, must be strictly an American thing. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, ha- we had it in primary school where there was, like, we sort of had this, like, sort of, like, talent show afternoon and, like, the young, like... The yo- it was really strange. The, the youngest kids had to sit on the floor because we had to fill, like, the room and you have to, like, you know, ascending order, but obviously it wasn't actually ascending upwards. So some people had to sit, then you had to sit on your chair. And then this must be, like, some sort of safety hazard because the highest years all had to stand on their chair. <laughs> so you just had to stand on your chair for, like, two hours, but 50 kids standing on their chair for two hours. That has to be a safety hazard at some point. Yeah, they just... They just had us walk to the gym. They're like, here's the floor. You sit and watch. And you're like, we've been here for six hours. Can we please fucking get up? <laughs> no, it's an all day thing. You will enjoy the movie. I've seen Finding Nemo seven times already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't do this in Israel. At least not, you know, in my school. <laughs> not that I remember. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, being a teacher now and like getting to like watch like kids grow up and, and uh, one of the teachers the other day was like, we're in the memory making business. And I'm like, it's corny and cliche, but he's right. That's it, that's true. You make a lot of memories at school and things like that. Mm-hmm. So watching these kids make their memories, I'm like, you guys might have better memories than I had. Like you, this, this seems better to me. You have actual chairs. You don't have to actually like do anything really. Your Your, your work is oddly more complicated, though. Like all the <laughs> steps for math now, they literally add 20 extra things of like how to just do simple like multiplication or like division. It's not just you do it. It's not like 90 steps. I finished with like economics in Meyer with an 8 out of 10, like sort of like grade. And we, we grade till 10. And like I think three years later, I worked, um, I still work there. I like tutor kids and like help them in uh, with schoolwork they struggle with and stuff. And this kid had economics homework, and that was like, like they were sort of like, I think it was like five years later or something. And I just looked at their book. It's like, I have no idea what any of this is. <laughs> this is so much harder than what I had to do. And this has been five years. What happened? 
Now I get why the market crashed. This stuff's gone so much harder. <laughs> Economics is like a gray area of like a subject. It's kind of like literature. There's, there's like, there's, I guess it's closer to science. Oh no, we have, we had economics as a whole subject. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm saying like, it's not straight up black and white in a sense. Like there are black and white terminologies and how it works and things like that. But there's a, some interpretation of like understanding why it works the way it does, how the market is affected and like supply and demand, simple things. We, we just had a teacher that you could distract by asking him some questions and he would go on like <laughs> long rants. And we just had the thing like, we all, every year was told like with this teacher, you had like this sort of trump card you can play. If you really do not feel like working and you can pull this off one time in your three years. And as a class, you're going to have to decide when you do this. <laughs> Ask him if he believes in ghosts. You instantly ramble for an hour and you have no class. <laughs> that is so weird. Because he'd have all these stories to tell about weird stuff that happened to him like on holiday in Indonesia or something. And he went to this temple and like ghost <laughs> story. <laughs> The, the teacher I had that did the exact same thing, it was nowhere near as interesting as that. Because ghost stories, I'd be, I would love to sit through, but this guy was a beekeeper. So all he had to do was be like, <laughs> hey, Mr. Smith, I, I could have sworn wasps and bees are basically the same thing. Like, is there actually a difference? And he would go off for the entire class on it. And you're like, yup, it's the bee, dude. It's about bees. This is fucking interesting. Uh, and also, fun fact, by the way, he's, he is currently in prison. Yeah, it's 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 Florida, across. Don't pay too much attention to it. He got uh he got caught by an undercover cop by pretending to be a uh, very underage uh, girl. Yeah, it was bad. All right, let's go back to something fun to discuss because this is disgusting. <laughs> this is fun. Could you imagine getting that news about one of your teachers? Be like, you know what? I kind of get it. Hey, Brad, remember when we started recording and we were like, we probably shouldn't go for like so many hours because it's very late in Israel right now. <laughs> yes, but we're only 30 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump with Texas. We talk about magic in general and like how you got into magic. But now this, uh, you know, it's, uh, what is it like October 20? Was it October 2019? 2019 is when Pioneer came out, yeah. And this Pioneer format comes out. Yeah. What's your reaction? I loved it. Okay, you know why I loved it? They let me play Copter. Copter was one of my favorite cards ever. So it was fun for about two months and then it about died out. Yeah, yeah. But no, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's always exciting. Just getting a whole new format. It was like, what the hell is going on? I never had... I mean, okay, I kind of had that with Modern, but I was never really into Extended, so I didn't really care about Modern. But Pioneer came out also exactly at the time where, like, I got MTGO. So I was like, I can actually pay this. Um, and they had a Super PTQs week where you had, like, a PTQ every day. Super PTQ every day? Don't remember which one. And I ended up playing, like, three of those. I played Monoblack. I had loads of fun. And I, I kind of stayed hooked from that point on. But I really liked it. At the time, I thought it was... I miss Night Market Lookout being a Pioneer staple. Yeah, absolutely. Best <laughs> card in Mono Black Aggro. Crew, ping you. Crew, ping you. <laughs> a dark Betrayal being a four-off in the sideboard. <laughs> it's really funny, though. Like It just shows the resilience. We talked about this before. It shows the resilience of Mono Black as like an archetype, and it's st it's still here. Yeah, It's just a good deck, and it's like, yep, it's fine. Well, I mean... It's a good, it's still here because 
Tiago Saporito single-handedly keeps it around, right? <laughs> he actually just the on like he him and his um um girlfriend, spouse, I'm not sure, like Mazina Linda, they're the only ones winning with it, but they're just crushing everyone. And they're like, I don't know what's the secret. And you'd think if two people in the household would be playing it, they would just be really good at the mirror, but they don't really face the mirror ever, do they? Yeah. <laughs> They never do. I think they played it. I think I saw them like talking about playing it once. I don't remember. But yeah, basically, I, I really enjoyed like the high-powered Pioneer format we had at the start. Although I think banning Field of the Dead, Oko, and Once Upon a Time was probably a smart decision that would have gotten old pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but it was really exciting. I've been playing a lot of Pioneer ever since, and I've been mostly enjoying it. Well, now you brought up bands, so like, are there any bands and and like that have happened that you would take back looking back, or are there any bands that you would have made differently if it was your format to play with? Oh, okay. Um, do you want the long answer or the short answer? <laughs> we we want the good answer, so yeah, the long answer. <laughs> the good answers or the long answer. Um, basically, I really, really, really dislike the bands of Ballista and Inverter, and maybe Kethys, I don't know. Yeah, Kethys, I know. <laughs> I don't know enough about Kethys. I honestly wouldn't mind it being back in the format, but that's more... Yeah, I know you're an enthusiast. But I do think that once Inverter and Ballista got banned, Pioneer kind of lost its identity. Because what I really liked about Pioneer... So what happened was... We had like the, the 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 old bands. What we talked about were like the format kind of. They were like, okay, this is nonsense. We can't have all these cards. Yeah, the weekly bands. Yeah, the weekly bands exactly. And then we got to a format which is like really nice. I was playing vampires at the time. There was like Sulta Delirium and Spirits and Five Color Nive. Basically, all the decks, almost all the decks you see today. And then uh, we got Thassa's Oracle, so Inverter became a thing. And we got Heliod in the same set, so Ballista became a thing. And Underworld Breach. And Underworld Breach, well, that's, I wouldn't unban that, but... Um, that thing's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I secretly think Breach was, like, Lotus Breach was actually better than any other deck. Oh, I agree. I, I agree. And, like, we, we got into this format, which suddenly got, like, this identity of its own in that... You played mid-range combo decks, but you had more than one. And the gameplay was super complicated and intricate. At least in my opinion, I enjoyed it a lot. I was definitely like an inverter player. And and those bands kind of felt to me like, well, a lot of people like complain a lot about not liking playing against these decks. And so we're going to ban them. And for me, I think that was a bad decision. Obviously, I'm biased, but... I do think that the format was more interesting and unique before because these were the combos that were definitely too good for standard, but not nearly good enough for modern. And you had a place to play them and you got really unique decks. And then it felt like after they banned these, we just got into this cycle of old standard decks where you had like Reclamation, Fires, um, Burn, Mono Black and stuff like this. It's like, these aren't really, I don't find these decks super interesting. Um, not compared to what we had before. But what do you say? Because in the inverter times, um, God, that sounds like I'm describing like an era, like in the inverter times. I mean, it basically was. It was, it was a an eight-month era. It felt like a decade. 
Um, <laughs> but like, you can maybe hear my dis. I wasn't a particularly great fan of it. Um, but events were hardly firing on Modo, weren't they? So there was there was definitely something that had to be done. What you've just said, like we could have like done something differently because Inverter technically existed with Jace already. So would just like Thassa's Oracle have been the way to go, or would you've just left it, or? Yeah, so I'm um, I'm definitely of the opinion that you should have kept around Inverter and Ballista as is, but I can see the argument, and people have made that argument, that you could have banned Thassa's Oracle, which would also nerf um, Lotus Field, or you could ban Dig Through Time, which is obviously a ridiculous card to have around. And once you don't have Dig Through Time, like look in Modern, I played some Inverter in Modern, and not having dig through time makes your deck significantly worse. Because you don't have that two mana card that just gets you both combo pieces and oh, it empties the yard. So you get to win on the spot. Um, but I do agree that like Pioneer probably had a problem at that point. But I think some part of this problem was that people didn't have time to get really enfranchised in the format before COVID. So it's not like modern where people like, some people play modern because it's modern and they're going to keep playing it no matter what. And in Pioneer, you just didn't have that audience, I think. Do you think that if we didn't have... Um, I think that's a very fair point. Yeah, do you think that if we didn't have COVID, we had more paper events going on with Pioneer, do you think innovation would have actually like made it so... Because staleness is the reason Moto events weren't firing, right? Every event, every every deck you played was inverter... Uh, mono white breach one of those three main combo decks and a little bit of Kethis in there too um so that's why people didn't want to play they're like i don't want to see the same three decks over and over and over again or just play a game or a league against five inverter decks sounds miserable at least boring but do you think if we had paper it would you know encourage innovation for like other decks to actually exist alongside inverter or do you think the meta would have eventually just been the same inverters the best deck or these combo decks are the best decks play them or don't so i think that's a really good question i do think that these decks were the best in the format but i just don't think it's that bad because they were vulnerable to some forms of attack and like you do you did have some diversity in the format but i actually think the more interesting point at least for me is that pioneer is extremely underexplored in my opinion um, and that's partially because no paper events means no pros really play the format or have incentives to try and break the format and actually optimize decks. So you end up in this format that's like kind of unsolved, which is not something we've had in the past few years, especially with like Arena and MTGO, just letting people break formats a week after we get them. So I do think that's on the one hand, one of the reasons that Pioneer seems a bit stale, but I also think it's one of the biggest appeals for Pioneer. Um, for example, with my like because you can you can you can find new decks every week. With my some of my teammates, like Claudio, which you probably heard of, um, and Traft, like both of them were working on this really cool combo deck that is just completely new. And it might be good, it might not be good, but like it's so much fun testing something that's actually attacking a format from a completely different angle. Or or take a look at the deck that um, TMU did well with in the last challenge. 
it was this paradoxical outcome deck. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it on Twitter. Um, had like the Mox Ambers and like there was like the one Sahir, uh, Sahili, whatever in there. Yeah, the Sahili and he has he had a Gallows of Prismari and Sai. Yes, yeah, Sai was a big part of that. And it's like, this is awesome. This is completely new. No one knew about this until two days ago. I think this is super exciting. So do you think, because at the moment, I would say at the moment, Pioneer is in a pretty fantastic spot. Where there's, there's a lot of cool decks that work. Uh, there's still a lot to be discovered. Do you feel? Do you think, as I said, like, if there were like pros working on this format, like had COVID not hit, that we would have had this even with the other decks around? Like even with Inverter and Ballista around, this would have happened because there is actually just so much room in this format left unexplored? Or uh, What I'm really sorry is that Wizards didn't wait for like a month with the bans of Inverter and Ballista to get a new set. I don't remember the exact timing, but it felt like they could have given this like Okay, we get another month, maybe the new set changes things. And I honestly don't know. I don't think I would have expected like Inverter and Ballista to not be playable anymore. I do think that right now No, but I'm but I mean like they would have do you think now they would have been part of the meta and not the meta as they were at the time? I mean, I honestly don't know. It's a really good question. Um because those decks are oppressive in in the sense that they do force you to react in very certain ways. So I think a lot of the... So, for example, I don't think Uro was, would have been a good card in the format if those decks existed. Because you can go, okay, you can dirt a lot you want, I'll just kill you. Yeah. Pioneer was a turn four format. It would definitely make for faster running tournaments if people were still playing Inverter and Mono White. <laughs> yeah, although games could get super grindy. True, but especially Lotus Field that uh, was deterministic and now no longer is. Uh, this is a very funny side. We had an admin on the server, Risen, Brad and I, and we all three, we were just like chilling in a call together, and we all three just randomly grabbed a combo deck, and we were just sort of like, let's just for fun, I think I had a Popper deck, Risen had a Modern deck, <laughs> and Brad had Pioneer Storm, and we're just like, let's just see... What deck's actually faster, right? Because I thought, like, well, Pioneer, it's all uh, Popper, it's all combos, but this format's uh, commons, but this format's actually crazy. And we were just all grabbing these decks together, and Risen and I had finished, and Brad still spent 15 minutes taking a turn, <laughs> and then passed, because he was playing Lotus Field, and it was no longer the turn. And Risen and I were just talking, and we just saw Brad, like, doing the math and, and moving all these cards. And then he was like... Okay, next turn. And we were like, next turn? <laughs> you were here for 15 minutes. <laughs> and you dare to say next turn? I comboed off twice. <laughs> the deck went all the way down to like 20 cards left. And I was like, I, I can't do anything else. This is unfortunate. <laughs> That's, it's the, I've had, I've seen one of my favorite streams is um, of um, Nobody Knows I'm a Dog. And not a big streamer, but I really enjoy watching watching him and he had he was playing pioneer i think he was playing ramp or something versus like lotus field or whatever and the lotus people just combos off and it's like well i mean i guess we'll make them do it and then they screwed up they like played i think they forgot to play the jace or something and they just drew their deck and they oh. lost oh god <laughs> oh no, no no oh i remember what happened they had the gideon emblem in play right 
Gideon, like, um, like, um, nobody knows him. Look, had the Gideon Emery bear. So, like, well, I mean, they combo off, they get the bounce spell, they bounce the Gideon, they win, but they didn't do it. They just went like Jace plus myself, and they lost because you can't win the game. It's like, oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> it, like, you always say, let's make them do it, and they always do it, but not this time. It was great moment. Oh, this makes me want to cap this back so bad. I'm just like, I'm imagining all these lines of play. And I'm like, ooh, yeah. Yeah, take 15-minute turns to maybe win. This sounds great. I, I did I did honestly feel like in the inverter times, there was a lot of like interesting stuff to be done. Like I, I loved running cards like Nimble Obstructionist in my sideboard just to have like these weird type of sideboard decks. The only problem I had with the deck is that I ended up having 10 sideboard slots for all these different decks. Because like, well, I've got my Nimble Obstructionist for inverter. But I need my damping spheres oh, yeah. for the lotus field. But I need enough removal to deal with the white creatures, because otherwise you're going to be run over, because it is a dirty aggro deck, yeah. first and foremost. Um, but I think to to make a little bit of a shift towards like not what could have been, but what actually is, mm -hmm. um, we've had Strixhaven for, I think it's a week now, two weeks on Moto. We've had Strixhaven. Yeah, yeah, this feels like more, actually. Yeah, it's like the especially now the time and like the release dates and now like a lot of people don't go to pre-releases. It it feels such like a blur, right? When sets come out. Like we have the full spoiler and everyone starts playtesting, but two weeks later it comes out, but then a week later you've got the pre-release. It's like, how is it a pre-release if I've been playing with the cards already? Mm -hmm. and like, yeah. <laughs> it gets really confusing. But Strixhaven's been out for a couple weeks. How have you been liking the set? Can't even be outside of Pioneer. If you played Limited or whatever, like how's the set for you? So I've been playing limited. I played uh, a release event today, like a sealed release event today, which was great. And I decided to take this month and focus on limited a bit more because there's like a PTQ that I want to play in. And I'm not usually a limited player. And I kind of want to prove myself that I can be a good limited player, kind of like as a challenge. And I've been, I've been enjoying it. The format is really intricate. I had some ridiculous games today. Learn mechanic is great. I feel like this format is going to get old really fast because everything draws you cards. And also because of Mystical Archive, you get random rares and commons and uncommons. So like you can have someone play Approach to the Second Sun in Limited. And you're like, what the hell is going on? How did this just happen? How did I lose this game? But overall, I've been enjoying it in Limited. And I'm enjoying it in Constructed mostly because unlike the rest, like, the sets we got in the past few years, it didn't break anything, it feels like. The set is just a bunch of interesting cards that slot into weird holes in decks, but nothing too egregious. And I've been enjoying that. Like, not having to, you know, let's say, oh, let's play this deck until it gets banned because it's broken. So... I feel like the cards are really interesting. They all have really weird implications at times. Like Magma Opus is... Oh, I've been loving that card. Yeah, like this with Gearhulk, it's like, this is so good. This is my this is my type of magic. Gearhulking into Magma Opus. It's like, yes, all there for it. Yeah, and it feels like strong and interesting and a new angle, but it's not oppressive. It's not like easy to slot in the deck you have to pay a price like you, you can ban dig now go like gear hoax bought uh, found a new <laughs> girlfriend right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but you can ban dig <laughs> please don't but <laughs> i love the card too much um 
Yeah, but I, 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 yeah, I really agree with the thing you said. It made me feel like how modern was a couple years ago when a new set came out and we were really looking like, what's like the handful of cards we can take to modern? And now it feels that way with Pioneer as opposed to like the previous few sets. It's like, what comes out? Well, what entire new deck just spawns? Like, well, what entire new meta just spawns from this? Because 40 cards in this set are broken or like good for Pioneer. Broken or good for the format. And now it's just like, yeah, I've got this cool card here and this cool card here. And I can add like a couple of cards here. And it's like, wow, Niv got three new cards in this set. Wow. Right. God damn Niv. I mean, Niv actually did get three new cards in this set, and it's like, God damn it. Yeah. It just doesn't matter what that deck, how hard you punch it in the face, that dragon will just be reborn over and over again. Like, the name really fits. Yeah, I, I have already, like, eaten my words. Like, I we when we had the original bannings um, of, like, Uro and, like, Teferi and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, Niv is dead. There's no way they can function without Uro and three fairy. Oof. <laughs> and then also yeah. Niv is like... I, I'm just even more dirtily now. F*** you. Okay, cool. Whatever. <laughs> That's fine. I'm just five-color control now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, God damn it! stop. Stop, go away. <laughs> but my draw spell is a 6-6. Six, six. Now they have Vanishing Verse. <laughs> and I like how we're talking about, like, do, do they just replace Dreadbore with Vanishing Verse? No, we run six. We run three of each. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're like, Ugh. I think it replaced Abrupt Decay, actually. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it, they and then Prismari Command replaced K Command. You're like, <laughs> it's great. I think it actually complements it for what it's worth. And, and it's kind of funny, but in Niv, like every single card matters because they have Bring to Light, which is the actual offender. I agree. Yes. But, um, yeah, so Niv definitely got a bunch of new tools, and there are some cards I'm excited to try at some point. I already played a really bad. Body of Research deck, combo deck. It was really bad. I'll send you my my brew. You'll make it work. Yeah, he had the one, but you had the teamer one, right? With Terror of the Peaks. Yeah, yeah. You just got the one-two punch for just the one shot. That's I have a teamer one too, but it's it's a uh, uh, it's a bit Simic ascendancy one. Yeah, and then your and then your opponent plays life gain, and you actually have to count the cards in your deck. And you're like, oh no. <laughs> Oh, you play Modo, it doesn't matter. How much life gain? Yeah, you don't have to count anything. It's Modo. It's fine. <laughs> I played Paper Magic today. I'm like, why isn't the life total floating above my opponent? <laughs> you, ju you just look up and it's just above your opponent's head. Like, that's just the next level of magic is just we do it with VR goggles. You just look at your opponent and the life total is just there. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. There's also, okay, there's also this um, double major combo deck. But I don't think it actually exists. So if you mutate um, the Jeskai legend, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then in response to the mutate, you copy the creature spell. You get to go infinite. That's really weird. Because you get a new one and that gets the card back from the graveyard, which gets you a new one. Which Yeah. So we talked about the stack before, right? So you have the creature on the stack and then you copy it. So the copy recasts the body, the double major from the yard, but you already have the creature on the stack, so you get to do it again. But now you mutate twice, so you get to copy another spell from the yard. So if you have like a wild slash in the yard, they're just dead. But I think it, you can't execute this on Magic Online because it's like a hundred clicks or something. That's actually a, 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 
interesting one considering like what type of decks arrive, right? When you're thinking, well, now that everything's played online, there are certain decks that just don't work online. Yeah, that's the talk about Heliod in Modern right now, right? I don't know how much you're into that, like part of the magic community, like the Modern. I, I love that deck so much. I love that deck so much. You love it? Oh my god. He- I love Sun Gun. I love Sun Gun. And the fact, like, I wish it was back in Pioneer. And Pioneer. Like, okay. I know it's Spike Feeder, but, like, you can still do Walking Ballista, right? Like, they, they still run it. I love that time in Modern before the previous bands where people played Heliot, got infinite life, and their opponent didn't concede yet because they, they were playing Urza Thopter Sword, so they could swing back for infinite damage. <laughs> like, and this is the type of magic we're at now. You're, I'm at infinite life, so <laughs> fine, play along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can just put my deck on the battlefield and kill you. That's what. Um... But yeah, so I've been enjoying. I've been enjoying trying the new Strixhaven cards. Um, also, the new like PV's cards, Elite Spellbinder. See some play, so that's something like in standards and a bit modern. So you can maybe check that out. And like, the cards are interesting and not. It's not super obvious where they go to, and I've been enjoying trying them. So speaking of new cards of Strixhaven, uh, you are a vampire player as of right now. How has Callus Blood Mage been? It has been an MVP. Really? To be honest. Yeah, and I'm super surprised because initially I was high on Valentin, which is like the black-green double-faced Dean or whatever that's called, as another Kalitas-esque card. But then I started playing, like, I brewed up a list for a challenge. I didn't do it before, and I was, like, looking at it, I was thinking, okay, Valentin is nice, but doesn't actually do anything in the format right now. But I'm expecting Blue-Black with Dig Through Time and Magma Opus. Um, Rakdos Arcanist and Phoenix. And Kalos Blood Mage exiles the graveyard. So we could just run that, and I ran it, and it's been overperforming by a lot. I I did some dirty things with it. It's been really, really, really good. Um, it doesn't solve the major problem for vampires, I think, which is basically um, Niven fires go way over the top of you. But I think it's been a really good addition for for the deck. Vampires ha- now have another good three drop to play, and it's super versatile. I, I just felt so low on it during spoiler season. So what? So low on it. Yeah, it's kind of innocent, right? It's like this two one and none of the modes is really great. But I think it really fits into vampires because a lot of I think we talked about this a bit before starting the podcast, where Vampires is a very versatile deck, right? And and it's also a deck that really relies on Soren to pull a really do the heavy lifting in some matchups. So Kalos Blood Mage does two things. One is it, as I said, it's really versatile. Like the the base, the floor of the card is a bit more expensive, Dusk Digin Zilot, and that's the, the glue of the deck. So you don't mind running a couple of things. And then the upside is like you get a chump rocket that gives you life, or you get to X out their yard, which is great right now. And also Sorin just really wants you to have a bunch of vampires in your deck, and it really doesn't care about anything other than the stat line. So once you add these two factors, suddenly Kalos Padmage just looks really, really good. 
I'm not saying I'm running four in the main deck, but the two I've been running in the main and the one in the sideboard have been really, really, really performing well. I'm I'm really happy with them. It's really cool. That makes me happy to hear, uh, especially as someone who ordered their uh, their foils for my vampire deck. Oh, yeah, it is a pretty card too. Yeah, it, I like the art. Um, I mean, it's just a it's a vampire charm is is what it is. So, and that's. We, we end up seeing that with, like, the commands, the charms, and you look at those on paper and you're like, it's like all these modes individually are not that great, if, like, looking at, like, what the mana cost is, but the reason commands and charms have been historically so good is because of the versatility that they bring. And a charm on, the, on a stick, uh, I, I mean, like, I could convince myself to be more into Callous Blood Mage um, the more and more I talk about it, but, like, it just, it just felt weird. Like it to evaluate the card, like because I looked at it the same way you just even described it as like, it's a slightly more expensive Dusklusion Zealot, and I was like, I really wish, I wish it was, uh, it was two mana, be way too good. Oh yeah, mana. yeah, <laughs> yeah. God, if I could run four of these instead of the Zealots, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Brad and his like balancing or custom card design is always an interesting. It's like, what if this was this was two mana? Okay, then just take a take a mode away. It gets it gets exile the art and draw a card. That's it. It's still so yeah. much better than Dusk Legion Zealot, which is a four of. Yes, you're right. You're you're correct. But now we can have more. It's like if if Brad would be working at Magic, we would get like Theros and Theros and Ikoria style sets just the whole time. <laughs> you one time tried your hand at custom card design and you tried to finish the Titan Cycle from Theros and it was the most obnoxious, like horrible <laughs> card design I've ever seen. It's like, oh my god, the format would literally just be all around these cards. Oh, I'll find it. The Demir one um, had like five effects. <laughs> like, why? It, it had two effects. <laughs> it was really good. I like, do like me some overpowered magic, don't get me wrong. I'm not as great. Hold on. I, I'm gonna find it. Yeah. But I think what you said about this being vampire charm is really a really good way to look at it because I think usually um usually when you see charms seeing play, well commands are a different beast, I guess, but charms usually see play when like the upside is really high and you can take advantage of like the weird parts of the card, right? So, like, Prisbari Command looks underwhelming until you realize how important the treasure is, I think. And then the, the Callous Bad Mage is Vampire Charm, and you play it only in Vampires because Vampires actually make the Vampire parts relevant. And, like, Mono Black Aggro just doesn't want this card. Arcanist just, well, Arcanist has Durus, um, but just doesn't want this kind of card because it's too low impact. And Vampires are just like, oh, this is low impact, but we can actually do this with it. And suddenly it becomes a good card. But this card is low impact. I like it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing bad creatures anyway. Might as well put this versatile one in my deck. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's a it's a small body, but the effects matter. It's cool. I'll just turn it into a lightning helix instead. So I mean, um, uh, like my my worry with that card when I was evaluating it, or trying to evaluate it, I, I should say. Because obviously I failed. If you're saying it, uh, it, it's performing pretty well. For what it's worth, I failed too. I didn't think this card would be great, and I just ended up trying it. Well, I mean, I've tried playing Monoblock Vampires in Historic um, for mm -hmm. a while because, like, we don't have Pioneer on the on the on the, uh, on the client. So I'm like, I want to play a Pioneer deck that I like. I like Vampires a lot. Most of it's there, but we're just missing a few handful of things. 
Kalidas, for example, and things like that. So to kind of feel... Not a small thing to miss. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I guess I'll try some other things. So I, I played more three drops, being uh, Nighthawk Scavenger and uh, yeah, Yeheni. Um, oh, yeah. That's and cool. I've had success with it. But the problem I've had consistently is those awkward positions where you have any of those cards and Soren in hand, and you're like, I'm, I just want to play the Soren instead. And like that, the conflicting nature of the, the three CMC for all of them is where I was like, it's kind of, it's kind of rough where everything else, um, you looking at like the blood mage. It's, I had that same kind of feeling, right? It's competing for the three drop slot, yeah. even though it feels like vampires would benefit from having more three drops. It's just like, I hated having Soren plus more three drops in hand. So I was afraid of that. Has that been an issue at all? I know you're only running two, but... Yeah. That is the reason I'm only running two. I do think that, like, the three-drop slot is super clunky in Vampires. Usually, if three, you either play Soarin' or you go, like, two-drop, one-drop, um, in my opinion. But I think this is mitigated by the fact that, one, you don't need to play the Blood Mage early. I mean, unlike Nighthawk Scavenger, where, like, the earlier it gets into play, the more impact it has... Blood Mage can you can probably slow roll it, and you can also just play Sorin and Minus and put it into play. So in some matchups that's bad because they can just kill the Sorin and that's really bad. But sometimes, like I did that versus Mo- like Blue Black, where I'm getting this Sorin into play. Do you answer this right now? If you don't, you lose, because that's what usually end up happening. Sorin is a messed up card, and the tempo aspect of Sorin, like playing Sorin in sort of a Fires of Invention way, where you play it and another card. And it doesn't have to be a good card, but that's a tempo swing. Is really important, I think. I've I've done my fair share of soaring minus put in gifted Eaterborn. Because I just want to get on board. And that's Yeah. Also, I think one of the things I learned about vampires that vampires taught me is how insane gifted Eaterborn actually is. Like that's the that's the card you look at it like we can do better. And no, you can't. It's just it's so much on one card. Yeah. And it lines up so well in the format. In such a weird way. Dude, I, I love playing Like, not, being, not getting blocked by random or four walls is just so big in some matchups. It's a really interesting card. I, I, I really think... Because uh, I remember Gifted Aetherborn actually being a sideboard card at the time in Standard. But mostly being like looked over because it's super oppressive casting cost. So it's effectively relegated to mono black decks and that's about it. Or like mono black splash, doing like the lightest splash for a color. I really feel that's a type of card where if it would be like one and a black, it would probably be in sideboards quite often. Probably even main decks. I mean, I, I kind of tried to think about one. and Yeah, maybe sideboards. I don't know. Vampires are in this unique spot of we want to race, but we don't want to put a lot of pressure in smaller creatures. So that's what the, the Eitherborn does well, I think. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I like my feelings about vampires is that it's a really complicated deck to play well. Um, and I've been enjoying trying to crack that. And because I've been playing it for so long, I played it before Inverter because that was like my deck of choice in that format. And and then I came back to it once Inverter got banned. So I just ended up playing, having so much time playing the deck that 
I feel like the deck is really engaging for me. I enjoy playing it. I think it's quite good for some metagames. And I think I'm playing it really well because I have this experience. So I'm getting rewarded for piloting it, which is a big part of playing competitive magic, in my opinion. Just playing decks that reward you as a player. Is that... Uh, I think that's a, an interesting thing to touch on because obviously uh, when you're... Uh... When you're a competitive player, you tend to lean just toward what the best deck is. Like for you, trying to pick up new decks, like how 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 quick are you at playing newer decks, or are you often more like, I know this deck isn't optimal, but I've played it a lot, and that might like cause you to pick a different deck. So the so the um like the the bigger the format is, I tend to go with my preferences. So, for example, in Vintage, where I play sometimes, I basically only play Breach because the deck is really good and I know it pretty well. And I think the reward for moving on to a different deck is just not there. I do that in Modern too, where I mostly play Prowess and Shadow. And I'm lucky because these decks tend to be, like, if not Tier 1, then, like, Tier 1 and a half. They're never bad. Um, I do think that you are putting yourself at a disadvantage not playing Heliod now in Modern, but I'm not going to pick that deck up for various reasons that basically the bottom line is it doesn't fit me well. But like in Standard, I would pick the best deck. Obviously, if I get to choose, I'll get the deck that's better for me as a player. So if it's Rogues or Sultai, I'll take Rogues. Um, but if it's like Sultai by a wide margin, I'll play that. So I think Pioneer is in this weird spot where picking up new decks is, like, if a deck is clearly better, then you should probably pick that up. But I think we haven't been in that sport for a while now. Maybe Niv right now is just the best deck. But, um, but I think Pioneer... Yeah, I think Pioneer just rewards you for tight play. And I think Pioneer is diverse enough that you can take a deck that you're good at playing and try and win the lottery matchup. Like the lottery, the matchup lottery, where you try and avoid a deck, and maybe you didn't, maybe you don't. But I do have to say that I do try a lot of new decks, and that helps me pick up new decks when I need to. So um, if I find out that, like, I think I can play Niv to a high level, not like Claudio, obviously, because Claudio's playing it for years now. But years, four months now. But I do think that I can pick it up pretty quickly. I do tend to pick the decks that suit me better, though, because I don't think you need to force yourself into playing the best deck unless it's, like, completely broken. Yeah, you would, you would say that even kind of goes at, like, the higher levels, where it's still, like, unless a deck is completely broken, you don't have to pick, like, the top of the metagame page. So I actually don't think that's true for, like, the really high-level events. So if you're playing... Mox qualifier or the Pro Tour or something, and you have a month to put into testing now, or even two weeks, like take the best deck and play the heck out of it because the stakes are so high and you can focus on one format. But for someone like me who plays like on a regular basis, Pioneer, Standard, Limited, um, Modern, Vintage, whatever, it's just not worth my time to try and learn like the best new deck when in a week it's not going to be the the best new deck and i can take i can give up on like five percent in the deck win percentage but gain that ten percent back just by playing well yeah okay that makes a lot of sense okay i have two questions 
two questions about vampires. First off is um, how do you feel about the Orzov version? Is it a medical or do you just not like it, period? Because I found myself not liking it at all. I, 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 just, I didn't like the mana base being clunky. I didn't like not having the ability to do the snow basics and faceless haven thing in addition to mutable oh faceless haven is insane yeah yeah um and i didn't feel like uh blood uh, blood varian viscopa was uh good enough to warrant shifting to that color mm-hmm. um and the other thing is just what do you think vampires needs with the upcoming vampire set that we're getting later in the year what kind of card do you think the deck needs to just be a, a mainstay in the format. It already is for over a bit, but like you just said, a lot of decks that you enjoy playing usually hover around 1.5. They're, they're good, but not top of the top. I think Vampires very clearly falls underneath that, that range. Right? Yeah, definitely. What would it take for Vampires to reach like tier one of like, it's as common as burn. Like it's, it's there. So about the black white version, I do think it can be a medical I think Blood Baron is a bit overrated. Like you, there's a cost for running more five drops, right? You already run four Champion of Dusks. You're never cutting them because obviously they're it's, insane. It's a, it's a house, yeah. Yeah. And I do think that there's a cost for running Blood Baron, but I think in some metagames, it could be the right call. I think that mostly happens when you get the extra mileage out of white. So when... Um, when Arcanist was the best, like the best deck in the format for like a week, then I played Black White with Rest in Peace in the sideboard, which is a sideboard card no one almost plays in Pioneer because you either run Lurus or you just have other like graveyard concerns. And Vampires don't have that, so you could run like just the end all be all card. And now I'm considering trying Black White with Vanishing Verse in the sideboard. I'm not sure if this actually solves any problem for the deck. It is better versus Auras because Exciting is awesome. But, and this kind of bridges to the next question. I think Vampire's problem is um, that fires to an extent, but mostly Niv just go over the top too much. It's really tough to play. So the Niv matchup I consider to be um, unfavored. It's not unwinnable, but I don't enjoy facing it. And the reason is that unless you have, unless you establish your board before they can do their thing, you can't win the game, right? So the games you win are the ones that you get early pressure and they stumble a bit. And then when they play their Niv, you, you either kill it and attack for like five and they're down to four life and it doesn't matter that they drew four cards or you just go like, your own champion of dusk, draw four cards, but I'm ahead on board. And my death toucher still attack because... Or you want to trade for my two-drop. And then you're kind of getting the tempo advantage to an extent. But if you give Niv too much time, you just can't win. And sometimes the deck just... Like, sometimes you don't get those draws. And then... And that's an inherent problem with the matchup. So I would say if you want vampires to compete in Pioneer more, you either need to make... Um, the deck it preys on better, so they push like the more over-the-top decks out of the format. Imagine like burn getting a new way to punish greedy mana bases. Or you need better disruption. So I've been playing like Mind Rots and Torment of Hailfire in my sideboard just because I'm looking for ways to compete with like the the over-the-top aspect of Niv. 
And I haven't found... Maybe Torment of Hailfire actually does it. I had a really sick game in, with it in the challenge yesterday, two days ago. Yesterday. But it's not there. So this is what I've been looking for. But obviously, like, any pushed vampire creature can be great. Um, something like a rankling vampire. I don't know. Something along those lines. That'd be sweet. I do love rankle. Rankle is such a fun card. The, the, the first thing that came to mind when you said Torment of Hillfire is like, do you go like Rectos for Rectos's return? And when they draw their bunch of cards and you're like, yeah, now your hand is gone again. So that was, that's where I started. I looked at it and like, I know Rectos's return serves as kind of a middle breaker for Niv. And I was like, I want to play that card, but I can't really. So I was looking for something similar and I stumbled into Torment. I am considering playing Vampire Splashing Red for Croxa and Torment and uh, Practice's Return. It's probably not going to work, but I really want to play Croxa, so I might try that anyway. Croxa's so... I, I, I ordered the uh, the secret layer Croxas. Uh, I am patiently waiting. They, they look so sweet. <laughs> Um, but and I also I love Arcanus as a deck. That's one of my one of my go to decks behind vampires right now. Um, me too. Is, is that so? Like being able to play both sounds fun to me. Um, and I mean, you could also play the Rakdos vampire from uh, Zendikar. I, I don't, that one always seemed really really intriguing to me as a Soren cheat. Like fairly casting it seems that's the, that's the party one, right? Oh, you're talking about the part you mean Janna. No, it means the party one that gives all your attacking vampire, all your attacking creatures have death touch. Yeah, give your give everyone death touch. It's the Zagoth or whatever. Oh, right, that one. Yeah, yeah. The 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 heart, the dude holding the heart. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I don't I don't look at card like the art. I gotta say. I mean, I get vague shapes, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's the flying death touch haste one. Yeah, getting a haste threat is really big, I think. He's six mana, though, is the problem, and that's like where I was like, uh, it has to be a Soren cheat. But it seems cool cheating. Maybe we go into the D&D &D set, and we somehow get some good vampires that fit your party? Yeah, I mean, Mutavolt already fits the party. Was that about party? I was saying that Mutavolt already fits the party, but I guess that doesn't really count since it's a land. Sadly, it's only one. With Mutavolt. Yeah, sadly it's only one. Mutavolt, Mutavolt cannot party by itself. You need four Mutavolts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. We, we need another... Uh, I, I think... I, I actually... I found it really interesting that your first answer for the uh, for what makes vampires better is actually not even buffing vampires, is buffing other decks that are just really good against like the decks that Vampires are bad. The best thing that could happen to vampires is back to base 16 printed. Or, uh, or no, what is it? A price of progress. Oh, wow. Pro yes, please. And, bur and burn <laughs> is just like, oh, cool mana base you got there. Bonk, 12 damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think vampires is really good at preying on certain parts of the game. And it could be counterintuitive. Because I think Vampires actually, like, has a really good burn matchup, which makes sense, right? I mean, you get to play lifelink creatures. But also, I think Vampires crush blue-black. Or at least, I'm not losing that matchup a lot. Just because you grind better. Like, in the challenge yesterday, I played versus this blue-black player. And they played, in game one, they played, like, two, um, the Fortel card, the Drowsy cards. Behold the multiverse. 
Behold the Multiverse, yeah, thank you. Two of these and a dig through time and they break the board a couple of times. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still here. I have like all this gas in my hand. My my faceless haven is hitting you for four every turn. What do you do? Mm. And when they don't have the answer, they just die. Yeah, I've I've played this matchup a lot. Now, I I usually play Grixis, not Demir, but it's very similar. Uh, it's just that, you know, I deal myself a bit more damage from my mana base. Um and against vampires and i really had the same experience where it's like the matchup is winnable but the grind from vampires is crazy like you're sitting there and you're trying to remove their stuff and every time you look at like your three card hand you're like how many cards you got and they're like six and you're like what <laughs> i yeah i i played uh i i owned a mirror in paper and uh i was playing against juke um who you know when you're from your uh your viewers uh in your streams and, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, she was on okay, vampires. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, I was like, yeah, I'll I'll try Demir against the vampires. And I was like, I feel like I I'm definitely gonna win this. This just I have all the removal. I got you feel confident in your play, and you're like, oh my god, you just won't die. Go away. And they play a Soren, and you're like, this game just ended. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was really. And I'm like, and I'm also thinking like, I also play vampires a lot, so I know the lines of play, and I, I know what she can do. And then as we're going through the lines of play, and as I'm playing, I'm like, oh my gosh, she can do a lot here. Oh, she can <laughs> kill me. I, I'm dead. Cool. Here we go. Okay, game two. And I, yeah, it, they're always close games, though. That's the thing. Yeah, it is a fun matchup. Yeah, it is a fun matchup. It really rewards playing well, I think. I love grindy matchups like that, especially because I do still feel like the Vampires one isn't one that like goes on forever. Like, four-color Omnath mirrors are grindy matchups, but they take 40 minutes, and the Vampires match actually ends, which is always good. It feels like the game actually progresses. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like, like can I combo off more than you can? Like Yeah, exactly. It's a mirror. St stuff. Ha it's grindy, but, but stuff happens, right? Yeah. And that, that makes it so much more fun. I would like to see a, uh, a a very aggressively statted uh, one or two drop for vampires. Um, yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Even if it's not main deck playable, but like having something to bring in from the side to become a more aggro deck as opposed to like your mono black control backup plan. Um, that sounds like a nice option to help get underneath like things like Niv and stuff like that. I mean, just get something like Vampire Lacerator. That's an easy one to... Mm, no. Like, uh, the, like the the real. If you want to, if you want to go under, what? If you want to go under, one mana two two. Because, I'll, because vampires, like we said before, you need your creatures to really do everything, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you look at Gifted Etherborn, it might seem like an early game card, but Gifted Etherborn still trades for your five drop on turn seven, right? So I think the key for vampires is that like you have very little bad tactics. Even your lens, you have like. 10 lands you're happy to draw in the late game. So I think that playing like a 2-2 two, two for 1 is not going to cut it. But playing Valentin, for example, could be good. It's not high impact enough, I think. But something that's more like Knight of Ebonigen, I guess. Which is obviously an insane card. But something that carries on into the late game is more what I'm looking for than like... A two, a one mana two two, but something like like if the backside of Valentine was actually castable, like something like that. Like if Valky, if Valky was a vampire. Yeah, you're looking for you. If if you're thinking of like what's like a, a reasonable thing to expect for vampires, you'd be looking at something like that. Like cheap card on the front, that's good. 
overcosted card on the back, but you just want to be able to draw that later on. Oh, I was so I was so bummed about the uh, what was the because obviously we could say we won Sorin five through eight and Knight of the Ebon Legion five through eight, <laughs> but like oh yeah. Of <laughs> Well, no, there was a card in Strixhaven that I was really bummed because it was a, definitely a limited card, and I'm like, you could have made this a rare and a little bit better costed without it being broken. It would have been great in Vampires. It was the uh, the Professor, the uh, the um, oh my god, it's like a five drop. Oh, the one that puts a plus one on counter. Yes, that one. I was like, if that was aggressively statted. Oh, it's like the five mana two two or something like it. Yeah. Like- it's a de- it's a it's a limited card, but if they if they were like we want this to be a rare like in the set, and they could have made it r- like a rare uh, type of um, stats, it would have been would have been great for the deck. And I was like, you cocktees, this could have been awesome. But th- th- this is my struggle as someone who doesn't play limited like at all. I see so much wasted potential in sets. <laughs> I'm like, this could have so easily been one mana less. <laughs> There's that lesson which is basically a braid. Like, it's three mana to deal, to destroy an artifact or deal one. And it's like, really? Three mana to deal one? <laughs> is this really the deal you're giving me now? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of see it from a different perspective in that now that I play limited, I want the limited all-stars in Constructed. But it can't happen. So, like, in Kaltheim, Sarul's Packmate was by far the best common. It's like the 3-3 three, three wolf that draws you a card and has Fortel. Oh, with Fortel, yeah. And it's like, I want this card to be good in construction so bad, but the only words, the only place it's going to be good is in like Popper. And I'm not going to be Popper. So that's kind of a wash. I mean, I, I felt that way about uh, Ill-Gotten Inheritance from uh, Ravnica Allegiance. I was like, this is so much fun. I love winning games like this. That's the only li- that's the only limit limited I really enjoyed. Slap your four drop and just because I play control, I don't know what combat is. Like I I, I just play my creatures and I I just play my creatures. Never turn them sideways. Just let you do it. I played the uh, I I put Rakdos because that was that was the set that had Rakdos as one of the guilds. Yeah, and they, it was the three mana Rakdos enchantment. The um. Oh, it's like it had spectacle. It, like you paid an insane amount of mana. To... Theater of pain. Yeah, or uh, yeah, theater of torment. Horrors. Horrors. Yeah, Horrors. one of those. Yeah. What? Whatever Rakdos uh, adjective you wanna you wanna say. Um, yeah, that that playing Rakdos with Ilgot Inheritance in that card was just like this is so much fun. You have this aggro early play with uh, uh what was the two drop the two two with haste and then you could sack a creature. Um, and like just oh, fireblade artist, dude. That that card was so great. You had this early gameplay, and then you're like, I can go late, it's fine. And then mm-hmm. you just burn out the whatever four yeah. life they had left. You're like, Haha. I, I was like, I need this to be a deck and construct it. And I tried it, and I was like, after like a, a week of playtesting and standard, I was like, This is just not good. This is not good at all. <laughs> this is depressing. I, th- I think if there's, there's uh, another thing we can uh we could touch on um so we don't endlessly go on about vampires unlimited um is it's it's somehow related to it in a way um obviously pioneer isn't on, on arena yet and yeah. um it's coming soon tm i've been saving my wild cards and gold for a year i'm approaching 100k gold and like 80 wild rare wild cards i'm just i'm waiting i'm not playing historic i don't play limited i'm just stockpiling um, okay. Because that sounds like a plan. Because 
obviously we've there's been a lot of buzz recently and for like a long time that arena's economy is awful yeah right and absolutely horrendous do you think that's gonna be like very because pioneer when it eventually comes to arena that's hopefully the point where it would blow up I'm a bit afraid that that's not going to happen because of Arena's economy. We see it now with Historic, where the Mystical Archive comes out, and Historic just... It's just stuck. People are like, I don't have 17 rare wildcards for my Faithless Lootings and my Brainstorms. Why are these rares? Is that is that a thing you're... Like, you share my worry with, that that might happen, that Pioneer just doesn't really take off just because the economy's so bad? So, I don't really feel qualified to enter this like i i can give you my thoughts about this but the thing is i don't play a lot of arena specifically because of the economy right because i'm grinding some daily leagues or whatever it's called and then i end up with like 10 wild cards rare wild cards and i want to try this new deck in standard but i would have to use all my wild cards and then i just get stuck with playing the same deck for like forever um and I said, I, as I said before, standard is one of the formats where I would like to be more versatile. So, in a sense, I don't really, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer this, but I do think that, like, wizards are going to have to implement some form of, like, dusting system, I think people call this, where you get to, like, cash rares for other rares, right? Yeah, yeah, like they have in Hearthstone, four, four of one card equals one card. So you can get rid of four random rares and then you can buy an actual rare that you want and that would be like something like this would fix a lot of the problems i guess it always baffles me that like magic is supposed to be the biggest and first trading card game and you just have no form of trading on arena like you can't trade with players you can't even do that what you just described of like i'll give you my four shitty rares for your good one rare right so i really hope they implement something like this because I'm coming around on Arena. I was I was a hater before. Now I think it's it has its advantages, but I feel like I'm barred from playing and I want to play. So I hope until then they fix this in some form of way. But if not, I think this could be a big issue. And I think the way to solve that issue is if Pioneer not only is introduced into Arena, but also becomes relevant for pro play. Right? Like if the if the if the PTQ arena PTQ at the end of the month or the season or whatever is pioneer, it's gonna blow up, regardless of how bad the economy is, right? Yeah, no, I think you make good. But I, I really like how you said how you put it. Like I'm barred from playing, but I want to play. Yeah, and it's basically how I feel with arena too. Is that I'm stockpiling my cards by just playing mono red aggro, mono white aggro, just to do my daily quests, mm-hmm. and that's it. Because I feel like when Pioneer comes out, I don't want to throw an unknown amount of money at it. Because it could be 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. I have no idea how long it takes for me to actually get the decks that I want. And yeah, and obviously when so when there's a lot of pro play, um, there'll be eyes on it regardless. Almost no matter how crappy the economy is. And I think talking about pro play, I think that's another interesting one. Because you, you opened a the podcast for saying aspiring pro player and um now that we've shifted from you know in 2018 when you you know won your nationals stuff, we had the old uh pro system and now we've got the new one with the mpl and rivals and that sort of thing i gotta be bronze for like half a year that was sick <laughs> but or maybe even silver i'm not sure but do- yeah <laughs> 
But do you feel now, as you said, like aspiring pro player, your chances have lowered with this new system? If you would like to try and like squeeze your way in, or do you feel like you have more of a chance now? I definitely feel like it's it's less achievable. Um, and you know where, where I feel that the most? When I play a PTQ on Magic Online, and like the top eight has Waffle Tapa, Simon Nielsen, Dom Harvey, and like, I don't know, another pro player. And it's like, these people who were, two years ago, they were like gold and platinum players, and they got their invites without having to play PTQs. Now they're in with like in the same wing as players like me, who are not pro players yet. And it feels like the bar for actually like qualifying for the PT has risen. And then on top of that, qualifying for the PT doesn't guarantee it's not it doesn't even make it that much easier to qualify for the next one. Right? I mean, you see people like I think um Christoph Prince who won he won a PT, he won an a, I don't remember exactly what type of big event. And he's still playing like PTQs and stuff, I think. Which is completely ridiculous to me. Um so I do think that the new system is worse for us, for like the players who are in my spot, I guess. I do think there are some upsides. One of them is that you actually pay, like Wizards actually pay money for pro players. Two pro players. Like, I think that's great. I think the MPL and the Gauntlet and the Rivals is like a great system to an extent. I just think you need more ways like you need low even lower levels to enable this um and also i think that this era as you said like i'm streaming and this could be my avenue to making magic a bigger part of my life and you're making a podcast and the same thing goes here so while i do think that the changes were bad for organized play i think this era is like if you want to play a lot of magic and do a lot of magic related stuff, you have more opportunities than ever. Yeah. I think that's a fair point. I, I, I like what you said when you want like some lower levels in maybe. Because I think how it works now, basically when you're in, you get like paid enough that it's like your job now. Yeah, they have like the streaming requirements, you have to like meet all those and all that good stuff. Yeah, but it it would be like if there's like a lower level and it's like, hey, I can work four days a week now instead of five. And you could sort of like work on like getting it, like scheduling it in, that that would be like a sort of more fluent path to go into it. Because it's not that easy for people to just quit their job knowing that in three months they might be completely out of an income again mm -hmm. if you're out. And that like yeah. level of uncertainty makes it like terrifying. Even though it's good for the people that are in, yeah, it's terrifying to an extent. The one thing about uh, like the whole esports thing with magic. It's such a hard, and I mean, we're talking about like the growth of like the game. Watsy wants this this game to be like an esport ready game so badly with like arena and things like that. You can see how much they're pushing it, but it's just not. It's not like it's so difficult to just hop in because you literally can't. You cannot just hop into a stream and be like, "What's this magic game that they're playing?" and have a fucking yeah. clue what's going on. <laughs> No. There's no no shot. Even if you have a background in other TCGs like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and things like that, you still have this massive learning curve where you just don't understand. Yeah. So that's the first issue. And the way that they actually like treat 
not maybe not treat, but like the way that they've seemed to handle the relations with the pro players um, and things like that have been lukewarm at best. Like, did you see the recent thing with like uh, with uh, Ali uh, Mythic Mibu? Oh yeah. Um, they they had the the really first off they had the really weird in memoriam thing for the players leaving rivals. Oh, that was weird. The in memoriam and one person who like got like their first top eight with like Splinter Twin and stuff was said like she's really good at swinging at people with Ember Cleave and she's like what? Yeah, <laughs> I hate yeah, that card. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and their, their 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 response officially was like, well, the person that wrote it was saying that like it was about her tweets about Ember Cleave, and you're like, so you made the 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 highlight card about her was the one that she made a passing tweet that she didn't like it at one time. Like it's either you're lying, and or you're just really incompetent and bad at your job. It's a bad look either way, and so like that whole everything around the pro the pro system for me. And then the relations with the players, that whole incident. And no spectator mode. That. And and how Watsi seems to be, and maybe it's just more Hasbro, whatever, um, seems to be pushing to have this eSport-ready game for a game that's inherently not an eSport game at heart, at least a, an accessible one. It can be one for us. I love watching pro pro games. I love watching oh, yeah. the, the the Mythic Invitationals or went back like when when Pioneer first started and we had paper events like the SCG uh, tour and things like that. I was hype. I got to see um, what's the one from Amaket, the Exert two drop uh, white card, the Gorebound Initiate. Oh yeah, seeing that card cast hit the table and kill someone for lethal. I was like, this is the greatest game on earth. This is the best <laughs> thing ever. I love it so much. But you can't make that for everyone. It, it, you just don't and nobody gets into your game by watching like a highlight reel on reddit yeah exactly because it's just people playing cards right like i've i've been to like live events of league of legends for example and it's just like the energy in a room where you're confident that half the people do not know what is going on it's just not a thing you get with <laughs> magic because it's like person played card and now they're they got a handshake and now they're happy should i i guess i should be happy for them <laughs> I remember years ago there was a um when I was like when I was first getting into magic, I remember someone like it was like an anniversary of this crazy like play. I think it was with um Brian Kibler, like like at an 05 tournament or some shit. Um and they're they're talking about it on Reddit. And I was like, hey, I'll look at what's going on. And someone posted the highlight. Because there was a meme about the this this game, and then they post the highlight in the in the comments to, for context. Is this the one where they the ignite memories where they have to like roll the dice for the damage? Or... That's an amazing one. I, I think it I, I think that's what it was. And I, I remember watching it and I I'm like, I can't really read the cards that well. I, I watched it like four or five times. I'm like, I have no idea what the f just happened. And I play this game apparently. Like it, it's not like you said, it's not a highlight reel bowl type of game there's no 360 no scope headshot across the map that you're like yes that's so good like we're just little nerds going yeah. over like like cardboard did a thing <laughs> yes lightning helix so, you know I, lightning helix yeah <laughs> there was this youtube video that I, i'm trying to find it that's like this person did with frank karsten right so frank karsten the pro hall of famer i'm pretty sure that's like a mathematician. So they took a bunch of highlights and then Frank like shows how unlikely they are to happen. So there's this like, there's the memory, Ignite Memories event, right? Which is really easy to explain. Like you need to miss one, two, three times. You have these probabilities and this is what happens. 
There's also this game of like Brad Nelson playing Sneak and Show, I think, versus Brian Brown doing, I think. And Brad gets um, a sneak attack into play and then sees 40 cards in his deck and doesn't hit a creature. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. <laughs> which is insane. It's ridiculous. It's like 0.5% to happen, which is... And then you understand like what is going on here. But I agree, Magic is not a game that you can just go, oh, this is amazing. Look at this. Like, as an outsider, it's just, oh, this is a cool play. No, it's like, the dude played a card, and that card can subtly change the game in such a profound way that you will never grasp unless you understand the game. Yeah. Yeah, like, Magic is a lot more about personality of the people playing. Like, in a Magic stream, I think generally you, you, you have, like, your camera on, you're interacting with the chat, and, like... And that's really what gets the stream like to be successful. In something like League of Legends, I've watched like streams of Korean players who don't speak English, have their camera off, and you just watch them play because they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And that is like something that doesn't really work with magic. Like you really watch some for example, someone like Jim Davis, who picked up streaming like more and more, has really like made it a show. Right. And that's like what made more of the success, right? He's got like He's got like the, the, the soundboards and the intros <laughs> and like, you know, Mark Monday has its all like ska intro now, which is absolutely amazing. And okay. <laughs> yeah, he has this show called Mug Monday because he plays a goblin deck every Monday because and that like has this whole intro thing now. And it was one time where he he met some sort of subscription, uh, some sort of donation goal. And then it was Frog Monday once and he played Frog Tribal in Modern. And but like really like turning it into a bit of a show, and I think you know it's obviously hard to say like you know from my chair here saying what wizards should do with their marketing, but maybe it's like in that way it should be more that like don't try compete with the League of Legends but make it like something just entertaining and fun. I feel like they do a great job at the reveals, right? With War of the Spark, yeah, the trailers and stuff are great. Three day reveal show or something. It's like. You could definitely have someone who doesn't play magic watch that and actually get some fun out of it. Yeah. Seeing people talk about it and just literally just having people talk. Because there's so many people in magic that are so passionate and passion is like, what do you call that? It's like, if you hear someone talk about something with a lot of passion, even if you don't know what they're talking about, it's intriguing. Yeah. Right? And... I don't know, it, it, that might be, like, a an interesting way to take it. Because even, like, also art now is amazing, right? So War of the Spark, people talk about it, passion, we get story, and then big picture, and the whole room goes, ooh. <laughs> like, the Frasca card. Crap card, by the way, like the, the Frasca from War of the Spark, the one that just makes, like, 1-1 death touches. Oh, the menace, yeah. But everyone's like... Oh, it's Vraska. You could just like hear, you could just feel the room. And I was watching a live stream, right? So, <laughs> I mean, that, that trailer hit a million views in like the first 24 hours. Like, it was an incredibly well received trailer. I saw it over Facebook and stuff. And like, I never really, like, at the time, I didn't really interact with like magic stuff on my Facebook account too much. So it wasn't even like the algorithm being like, you need to see this. It's just like, it's everywhere. Um, and I, I even saw it like when I was at someone else's house and they were like on YouTube and they don't have premium. I, I'm a pleb that does because I hate ads so much. Um, and I, that's basically my TV. I, I watch nothing but YouTube. Um, and they, they, they had an ad come on and it was the War of Sparks trailer. 
person that never played magic in their life. There's no way it's part of the algorithm, but it's there. It was like, I, it made me so proud to be a player. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing. And the hype behind war of the spark was so awesome. And still to this day, my favorite standard format, by the way. It's kind of where I feel like at the moment, Magic, incorrectly, they're, they're pulling a World of Warcraft. Now, I don't know if you're a... Uh, so, World of Warcraft desperately tries to be an eSport, and it really doesn't work. Like, World of Warcraft doesn't work as an eSport. Like, watching people press buttons for 10 minutes while a health bar slowly goes down is not an eSport, right? <laughs> that doesn't work. But back in the day, World of Warcraft did all it was about is hype and like spectacle. And the World of Warcraft ads, they would just play the TV ad, like at least over here, they would just be like five minute trailers, which just there would be like amazing visuals and cool voiceovers and hype music. And you'd sort of just like be watching your telly. You'd be like, I don't even know what this is about. It was almost like the car commercial, right? Where for half the commercial, you have no idea what it's actually about. And then a car shows up and you'd just be watching like this almost like movie. And it was amazing. And then at the end, they would say, oh, by the way, this is World of Warcraft. This game is amazing. Come play it. <laughs> and that's all they would do. And it was just hype and like just, just hype, really. And that what made the game appealing. And now they, just like Magic, try to desperately make it an eSports and just failing at it. There was an expansion with like a panda. It was basically a Kung Fu panda. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I remember that trailer being everywhere. I think I was in high school at the time when that came out. And I, that trailer was everywhere. I'm like, I don't play. Uh, what is this new game? And also it just said wow at the end. I was like, oh, you, you tricked me. You tricked me into watching an ad. Yeah, you see like a giant orc and a knight show up on an island. And they just get beat up by literal Kung Fu panda. <laughs> and it's like you could play this. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. But then, like the the actual gameplay does not does not translate. Most of the pandas were just like weed smoking drunks, and it wasn't as hype. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, Magic. They should go a different route instead of like desperately wanting to compete with other solidified esports like CS:GO and League and things like that. Um, I mean, even like Call of Duty and shit. But like. I watch a lot of Call of Duty, actually. <laughs> what was that? I watch a lot of Call of Duty, actually. Because I, I was looking for something to watch in, like, by, by that time. And I tried watching League of Legends. And I just, I don't know the game at all. So I understood nothing. So I was like, well, I understand guns. Yeah. And people, like, so I'll just watch Call of Duty. And I'm enjoying it a lot. And, yeah. Well, and in that way, and that perfectly illustrates the point. Like, there are just two sides, like, mm -hmm. the polar opposites call of duty you could watch it because i know what a gun is and i know that it hurts <laughs> when i get shot right <laughs> so it's easy to understand that everyone and their mom can get into it right but magic you can't i've been playing magic for four years my parents have still no idea what it is they don't know what it is they don't know how it works they'd probably give it a headache if they would try so they're like you know what never mind <laughs> Whenever we draft, my dad just comes by and like, did you get the land? And he has no idea what he's saying. He's just saying it. <laughs> just as a way to be like, oh yeah, I know what you're doing here. And then just walks away. I remember playing World of Warcraft like 10 years ago at this point, And my dad walks in. He's like, what's this, you know, this, this hobby you spent like half your life on? You know, I'll, you know, I'll try and be a little bit more engaging with my son. And he walks in the room, watches the screen numbers fly by it's total and it, it wasn't even we weren't even doing anything exciting but it's just numbers fly by etc he looks at it for 10 seconds i have a headache and he walked out 
Yeah, there, there are certain games that just are not spectating uh, worthy. No, they're not viewer friendly. Yeah, unless you're enfranchised, right? I can watch people hit a health bar down for 10 minutes playing World of Warcraft because I know what the hell they're doing and I understand why it's impressive. I, I have the analogy for you. Magic is the baseball of esports. Oh no, I hate baseball. Exactly. It, <laughs> baseball baseball sucks to watch if you... I know guy, guy hits ball with bat and then people cheer. <laughs> baseball is one of the most boring and lazy sports to watch ever and if you are not a former player or invested in the sport from an early age... It's not fun. To, it's not fun. It's not a good mm. thing to watch. Um, and also, if you don't understand the intricacies of like pitching battles and stuff like that, which I remember I went on this tangent, I think like a month or two ago, and Alex was here and he's like, what are, what are you saying? No, Brad, don't do it again. I don't understand it. I think it was, we already started when like Adrian came on and you guys started talking about sports and you were like, they, yeah. they don't play any of these over here at like any level. We do like hockey and volleyball and ice skating and football occasionally. And that's about it. Right. <laughs> Baseball is great, just, you know, not for someone that doesn't know what's going on. Because you're like, they're just throwing a ball at him. But like, yeah, but he, he pitched a slurve there where he was expecting a four seam. And you're like, a slurve? That sounds like he's got, he's got like, a, that's like he's got like a medical yeah, ailment. Ex- that's exactly. From a exactly. <laughs> a slurve is a, is a combination of a curveball and a slider. Um, it's yes. gripped like a curveball, uh, the way you hold it, but the arm motion is that of a slider. That's why it's called a slurve. I am so um, happy. Finally, I have someone on <laughs> who looks just as confused when Brad talks about this stuff <laughs> as I do. This is... It's, but I I think it's a great analogy, though, because I'm, as as a spectator, whenever I see baseball, it's like, what the f*** is going on? <laughs> I, I don't understand anything here, and it's not interesting to me, but... Once you understand what's going on, there's a lot of intricacies and it can be super engaging. And you have this wide audience of people who have been enfranchised in magic for the past 20 years. Go ahead and appeal to them. Make, like, make coverage better. Time Spiral. Time Spiral Remaster is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Look how great it was. People loved yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like they're printing money. Wizards are actually printing money by printing Time Spiral because the set is basically irrelevant for anyone except for if you want to bring your collection it's just a boomer set but it really appeals because magic is a boomer game yeah yeah well i mean i got i got my arcanist uh for for uh oh. for and i was like this is this is this makes me feel so good i, I like it <laughs> i still want to get my elvish mystic just so i can have modern lanawar elves and old bordered elvish mystic just to piss people off oh that's disgusting no i I, I want it because I have white bordered elf. Uh, I have white bordered Lanor elves that you hate. You hate the art and and the fact that it's white bordered, Alex. I hate the original Lanor elf. I think it looks awful. I love goofy caveman uh, <laughs> Lanor elf. It's just like angry red face Lanor elf. <laughs> it looks like a, a horrible caricature. It's I love old magic art is great. Uh, what's oh what's uh, I'm I'm blanking on the name. It's like literally the most iconic piece of art um stasis shivan dragon stasis is very cool we're just the two people on yeah. the on the balance yeah yeah and the, there's like the little the little uh the the, the paint thing too it, it, there's like a fox and you're like what the f- <laughs> are you, what were you high and then the, the, the artist is like yes <laughs> yes <laughs> speaking of being high in baseball though i just want to say one thing the cool thing about baseball is there was a pitcher in the 80s that pitched a complete game it was it was a no hitter Basically, he did not allow a, hit, allow a hit, which is a very hard thing to do in that game. On LSD. 
<laughs> he was he thought so there's a there's usually a rotation so you have usually four or five starting pitchers and like you don't pitch every day because your arm would fucking fall off because you're throwing like 100 mile an hour fastballs where like it hurts after a bit and uh so he thought it was his off day so he's like i'm gonna pop a pop an lsd this is gonna be great he's, he's he, all of a sudden like he it started to hit and uh, he got a he got a phone call from his coach, being like, "Hey, where are you? Uh, game times? We, we need you for warmups." He's like, "Oh, I'm starting today." And he went out there and pitched a no hitter on LSD. Great! Th- th- this is the epitome of baseball. Great sport. Wonderful. This is not where I expected this story to go to. No, me neither. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> that was that was a curveball. Yeah. Hey, nice. He started to get it. Uh. Uh, I'm basically <laughs> winging it here. It's like when I started streaming, I'm I'm somewhat of a boomer, like not too much, but I wasn't watching Twitch streams or anything. So I started streaming and then people put these emotes in chat. And I'm like, why do you, what does like kick W mean? It's not a word, right? <laughs> I'm not missing something. So I end up just spamming random emotes from and I'm learning along the way. Like, what do these actually mean? Oh, Twitch is like a, a whole con- like a continent with like its own different cultures and subcultures and <laughs> yeah, and its own language. Twitch is great. My favorite is when you get into like specific communities. Like, I really like mm-hmm. uh, uh, Hassanabi, um, who's a uh, Hassan Piker. He's a political streamer. Um, he's been one of my favorites for a while. And that community, like watching him and like engaging with chat is just so different from like, you know, very like any, a lot of the other just chatting or like ones or even just like gaming streamers. Like the way the community is for the chat is half of the entertainment for watching a streamer. Because when you have like 24,000 plus people uh, on at any given moment um, on a stream, like even when, when they did the, uh, the, uh, the Chauvin uh, George Floyd case when they had the verdict of like a week or two ago, he was over a hundred K on stream uh, for like waiting for the verdict. And I was literally, I had it on in my car, plugged into my speakers. Cause I was like, I, I, I want to see what the verdict is and I like him. So we're going to watch. And it, it was great. And I'm and like, chat is just that subculture of like how like they interact and like, just like the little things you get into it. Um, but at first, it's it's kind of like watching magic for the first time. You're like, I what what are you saying? What is going on? Why why are all the pepe emojis going off? And then they have like sp- really specific ones where it's like Hassan's face as these like pog emojis and stuff like that. It's great. I love them. Or Hassan as Pepe. It's great. Yeah, I think that part really part big part of streaming is having your own identity, mm-hmm. and that's undeveloping the community. So like when people show up, they're that's the appeal for me as a viewer now that I st- now that I started streaming, I started watching more streams and like I go back to the streams where I feel like I'm a part of a community and I get to hang out with my friends and like I can talk to the streamer even for a bit, just say hi and they say hi back. And that means a lot to me. So I try to implement this in my stream and I think that's a really big appeal of streaming where it's like it's a new way to interact. I, th- I think a fun one is like it's... It's usually a good thing, like, about a stream when you almost, like, say goodbye when you're about to close the tab, right? I've had that with streams where, like, you know, if it's especially smaller streams and I'm more engaged, I'll actually, like, say, like, hey, I'm going to have to head out to work. Good day. Enjoy your stream. Yeah. And it's, like, when you feel like, yeah, I should say goodbye when I leave because normally when you leave someone's house, you say goodbye when you leave, right? 
and that's usually to me like a sign of a really cool streaming community that I've you know I've, I've been sort of like mm-hmm. I, I've I used to play a lot of RuneScape and I've what's it like RuneScape streamers who really have that sort of like tight community aspect on too, and I feel like that's like a really cool unique thing about streaming as a uh, as an entertainment platform. Yeah, and you you don't get that when you have the really big streamers like Hassan. When you have a twenty four thousand you know viewer, uh, yeah, the chat is just just yeah. It's there as like background noise, like a stadium, like 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 it, you know, like it's just there to hype it up. I think it's a good analogy, just like a cheering crowd, but you can't really hear what the crowd says, or at least not what the individuals say, unless people start spamming Keck W, and then you like, oh, I guess that's the general message I'm getting right now. <laughs> it's nice, like I can hop in to your stream and like I can actually like be like, oh, hey, I see you're playing like actually playing Rankle for once. I'm, I'm proud yeah. of you. Maybe happy. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big part of why I enjoy streaming. I just get to actually talk to people. And I met, I met, right? It's like, I didn't meet anyone. You're all in different continents and countries. But I still made so many new friends. And that's a really big part of streaming. And like, if I ever get big enough to worry about not being able to interact with chat, I guess I'm lucky, but also I'm worried about it. Well, I, I hope you get to that point. That that sounds, I mean, that'd be great for you. I mean, again, you lose one thing, but you gain another. It be, Like I said, it becomes a different kind of stream. You can still pick out, you get used to it. Because after watching Hassan for so long, he's able to pick out stuff in chat and like still have a kind of a conversation, but it's more so like I'm addressing what someone said for the masses to like to entertain them. It becomes a little bit more of a showmanship type of thing, whereas as opposed to like like Alex said, you're at someone's house and it's a more of like a, a get together. Um, so you you do lose that, but you gain something else, and it, I think it's pretty pretty cool. And you gain it being your job, which is a big game. Yes. Yeah, it is. If you want to do that, that is a big game. Um, I agree. Not for everyone though. I, th- I think to because uh, we're we're about to hit the two hour mark roughly, so let's head towards uh, towards the end. Um, I think just we've talked about it already a bit before, but like, what are you? What are your future plans now? You said you're going to stream for like a couple more months. Like, do you have like interesting things coming up in that stream? You've got your PTQ, which are the PTQ you're working towards. So I'm sure that's a big part of your stream now. Yeah. So, um, basically, my plan is to keep stre- like I'm definitely streaming in the same schedule, like four times a week for the next, uh, what like four months probably. And then we'll see where this goes. But for the near future, I am going to be playing Pioneer PTQ next week. And I think, and there's a modern PTQ. I think I'm going to just reroll because I don't know. I, it's, it's on a Monday. It's kind of weird. Um, so I'm going to play, I'm going to be playing PTQs. I'm going to be playing like my usual stuff, which is I'm trying, like my goal is to provide competitive content. Like, I'm trying not to mess up too much with, like, weird brews and stuff. I try to play my best. I try to learn a lot on stream. So that's my focus. And I am trying to hit, like, we were talking about becoming a bigger streamer. So I'm trying to hit, like, new follower goals, um, which is uh, something I'm paying attention to right now. But, yeah, basically my plans are, like, I'm going to continue streaming. I'm going to try and do better because I feel like I've been playing on and off recently. Like, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. Like, I've been making brilliant plays and then misclicking horribly. So I need to focus up. It, it, 
like I said, it's hard. Like I, I don't even, I don't stream the schedule you do. And I, I actually haven't streamed in like a couple of months now, but like when I was trying to stream actively, like I said, when I tried Omnath, I misplayed like crazy and I punted literally three games in a row. And it's so hard to interact with chat and like talk about plays and things like that. And also be like, I'm also playing a game that has a timer. I need to like actually. And it's a moto. Yeah. That doesn't help. <laughs> I time out way too often. I guess it didn't happen in a while. Like, the reason I've been stacking up wild cards and golden arena is just, I, I could not get used to Moto. I tried it, and I was just so like, I am just, I'm ready for the new age, right? Like, this is, <laughs> this is not me. I just can't get used to this program. I immediately picked up playing control on Moto, and that is not a good way to get used to that program. Kethis was awful on Moto. I'm going to be oh, yeah. really honest with you. On Arena, I, I very rarely rope on arena with Kethis and like I, I can maintain the, the motions and even when I have the graveyard be playable and it just goes <laughs> all across the screen <laughs> like I'm just like going like I can actually go through everything but on Moto I'm like I'm like old man on iPad I, I just really <laughs> struggle so I I cannot wait for arena to finally get pioneer which okay side note where the f are the state of the game updates where where they go what happened also, why no mention of Pioneer anymore? You said Pioneer Masters this summer. It's been like three months since you last said anything. Wh wh where? Where is it? Are you just are you just slowly sweeping it under the rug? Be like, they'll forget. I'm I'm worried, Brad. I don't want to think about it too much. I am worried. I am too. I, it feels like they're like I, they're 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 gonna forget about it. Let's just never bring it up again. The cake is a lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Makes me sad. But to end on a positive note. Obviously, what is your schedule right now? When can people check you out on streaming? And where are other avenues that they can go to get your thought process, whether it be Twitter, other social media? Plug away. Okay, thank you. So um, you can find me on Twitch, MTG. You can find me on Twitter under the same tag. This is E-K-E-R-O-S-S-M-T-G. Um, I stream four times a week. I stream Saturday and Sunday challenges, and then um, Tuesday, Thursday, whatever you post the prelims and leaks sometimes arena when i'm when i feel like a sinner um <laughs> and then um and I, we also have a discord community which is really nice and you can get the link on the stream i guess i'm not gonna read out the link that would be weird and uh, we'll, we'll have link. you can send me all the links i'll put them all in the description for everybody oh yeah i'll do that i'll do that for sure so yeah, basically Twitter and Twitch are the best ways to catch me. Um, Discord is also great if you want to interact even more. And on podcasts like this that are willing to have me, which is always great. This was so much fun. Yeah, I loved it. It was really great. I really had a great time. And I, I definitely want to bring you back on for when we have uh, more, at least for spoiler season, if you can't make it for the top five and stuff like that. But I would love to talk more about the upcoming vampire set. Even if you're not playing vampires anymore, I don't give a shit. D door, doors all... <laughs> I mean, any uh, any new set coming out, anything you want is like doors always open, dude. I really had a great time. Oh, sweet! Yeah, I wish it wasn't like two thirty a.m. We yeah. could chat, but <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time we'll find we'll try and do it a bit earlier. I guess we'll f we'll find a better time. The good thing about if we do top five and spoiler related stuff, we usually can record on weekends for that. Uh, we do oh. during the week for like normal cast to make a meet the schedule. Um, but yeah, when we're doing top five, we record on like a Saturday or Sunday so that we can do a lot earlier. Okay. That's great. 
Uh, but otherwise, uh, we have Alex. Reminders out the door. Are you ready? Yes. <gasps> okay, we are the official podcast of the Playaway Discord server. So if you want to play some paper magic with us, and maybe you can play Pioneer, Legacy, Modern, whatever, we're here. Link in the description. Hop in. You can play some paper magic. It's going to be so much fun. And also, if you want to be featured on a mailbag question for... We haven't had one in three weeks because this scheduling of all that has been ridiculous. But if you want to be featured for on the podcast... You can ask any question you want. It could be magic related. It could be literally anything as long as it's not not safe for work, politically charged, whatever. Just don't be a dick. Easy. You could be featured. We had a really good question from uh, Ace Dificado in the mailback for this week. It's just that's probably going to lead to a half an hour answer because it was it's about mana bases. So I thought we, we're not going to touch on that now because people are going to have to go to bed. But we will yeah. come back to that question next week 100%. And speaking of Twitter, you can go on that app we have come play away for the actual server for us so we can follow that and we all have personal twitters just like uh, everyone else here alex what's yours uh you can find me at disciple of bolas for general magic memes and the occasional brew and you can find me at bradsiver whether it's on twitter reddit whatever i don't care and we have a podcast twitter which is uh pio perspective easy peasy not done yet, though. We also have other podcasts for the server. We are the Pioneer Perspective, Everything Pioneer, but we also have Pondering Popper, which is our sister podcast brought to you by Cali Kais and Diego. They are wonderful. If you don't play Popper, still listen to them. They're great. They're really smart. They're very insightful on the format, and they're just fun. We do also have merch. We are the one part of the wonderful... We are part of the wonderful affiliate program with Inked Gaming, so we have some Pioneer Perspective playmats, and other various things as well. We're getting some dice bags and uh, carrying totes, whatever it's called. On Gaming tote is what they call it on the site. It's uh, I like how all gaming items have to be like super edgy and very, very. It's like uh, it's like men's shampoo. It's like it has to be nine in one. You can put oil in your car. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but. We love you. We thank you for the support. This podcast will not be possible without you guys listening every week, uh, roasting me on Reddit, whatever. It does not matter. We appreciate you no matter what good, bad you've been here. And we hope to see you again, or at least have you visit us uh, next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>